0: Hi, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 38 of Kindred Cast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights from the deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. On today's show, we're pleased to feature an interview between Aryeh Borkhoff and Don Ostroff, the new chief content officer at Spotify. Prior to joining Spotify, Dawn was the former president of entertainment at the CW Network and president of Condé Nast Entertainment. Listen as Aria and Dawn discuss the three Ps, which is her personal philosophy that has guided her her entire career and her strategic approach to creating original content for the blockbuster streaming platform.
1: Dawn Ostroff is a renowned television and video executive in the media industry. She joined Spotify as chief content officer this August. Prior to this, she served as president of Condé Nast Entertainment Group, a division she helped create to develop film and entertainment businesses based on Condé Nast brands, articles, and personalities across all media platforms, including television, feature films, and digital video. She previously ran the CW Television Network, and before that, UPN, which fostered hits such as Gossip Girl and Vampire Diaries under her watch. It's a pleasure today to sit with you, Don. Thank you so much for coming. I've known you for a long time, and you're a phenom, as we say, in the media business in the sense that you've always been on the crest of the wave of the next generation of hits and content and always have also, beyond just the content, overseen very fast-growing business lines. So uh, thanks for joining us today.
2: It's great to be here.
1: So tell me, before we get into business, I've read in your background something I didn't know after all of our conversations about life and the industry, that you have a uh, three P's philosophy, which is patience, Mm -hmm. persistence, and passion. Yeah. So tell me about that.
2: You know, so many young people would always come up to me and say, either... I'm not sure really what I want to do. How did you figure it out? Or they would say, I know what I want to do, but nothing's happening for me. Or they would say, how did you really choose your path and sort of really make your way down with so much competition? And so I came up with those three Ps because it really addressed so many of the questions that I was getting. Because if you're really passionate about what you're doing, then it doesn't matter because you love what you do every day, which I think is so critical. We spend so much time at work. And in order to succeed, you really almost have have to have a love for what you do. Mm -hmm. And then being persistent, you absolutely cannot sit back and say it's gonna happen. You have to make things happen and give it your all and sometimes you speak to people and they say well i've done this i've done that and yet you know nothing's happened but have you really given it everything that you can and then finally you have to be patient because i used to use this analogy with actors and directors and writers but it really applies to everybody which is if you really work on your craft and you really work on your skill set you will be given an opportunity at some point along the way. And the question is going to be, are you ready for it? When the door opens, will you be ready to take advantage and jump and be successful? And so that's how I came up with the three Ps, and I think it applies across the board.
1: Yeah, all three really speak to being an entrepreneur as well, or looking for opportunities where they don't seem readily apparent or in front of you. And I think persistence is one that I often think about because you have to make impossible things possible all the time. And the only way to do that is to have a certain level of grit and a certain level of pushing the envelope in a way is talking about creative ideas, et cetera. But persistence is really just keep moving the ball forward and not taking the status quo as gospel.
2: That's true. And I think bankers do that very well. And I'll tell you why, because you wake up every January 1st, you have to start anew, right? You have to build your deals. Thanks for reminding me. Sorry about that. (laughs) But what I do think is really interesting is that, you know, I think that people talk about creativity as it relates to entertainment or as it relates to writers or, you know, people who are really in the creative business, but I think all business really allows for creativity. And what I find, especially in deal makers, bankers, businessmen, is when they approach their business with a certain amount of creativity, imagining what the possibilities are, or creating something in your mind that nobody's even thought of before, whether it be putting companies together or a new business model, you know, that's a different version of creativity. And that, again, is really about being persistent, because you're not sitting Back in singles, my phone going to ring, and I'm going to put these deals together. You're sitting there saying, "Okay, what are the possibilities with what's out there?"
1: When did you first discover that you had those characteristics personally? Because obviously, you're in a business with many different types of creative executives. You've been in the business for a long time. You're going to be in business for a long time to come. How did you know that that differentiated you and that you were never going to be satisfied with just doing things the way it was done last year?
2: I think it was pretty much in my DNA all along. Because even when I was starting out, I was a reporter when I was very young, which was too young for anyone to be a reporter. But then I started in the entertainment business and said, I'm going to take 10 steps back, be an assistant, learn the business. But even while I was doing that, I was optioning rights to different articles on the side, trying to hustle my wares and trying to sell projects while I was an assistant. So I always had ambition to be able to do other things, but I needed to learn The business to even get anywhere. But I think for me, it's always been about how do I stay invested and excited about what I'm doing? And I get bored if I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? And there are a lot of people who've been doing the same thing and they love it. And that's What makes them happy? But for me, it was always like, what's the next thing? So even when I was working in television and I was working on network shows, and that was at the time when the networks were truly ruled the business, cable started to come up, and the possibilities of what cable could be were so fascinating to me. The models hadn't really played out yet. You know, it was a dual revenue stream, but the advertising side was quite soft. The sub fees were, for the most part, not significant enough. And so it was early on when I went to Lifetime, but I knew that there would be such tremendous growth. And that's what excited me. And then, of course, cable really took off. The revenue streams really came in and it became a substantial model and business and really satisfied a need for the viewers. And then when I was at Lifetime and the opportunity to go and work at a smaller network and see how we can build the network into something being, you know, more substantial which was UPN and then ultimately doing a startup in the CW because we started that network from scratch. Again, it was how do you start a new network with 500 channels already out in the market and how do you differentiate this network and make it find its audience? Like how do you build an audience and find the white space? Not easy when there were already five hundred channels. Right. And so we really looked at it as a brand and said, "Okay, who are we going to program to? Where is their opportunity?" And I'll never forget this at the time. We said, "Okay, well, let's look at women eighteen to thirty four because at that moment, there were maybe fifteen, channels that were programming towards women of those there were only maybe eight that were targeting a younger audience and of those most of them were doing all reality content none were doing scripted so we found our little white space we were kind of cursed with the name cw and (laughs) the story of that is you know we were trying to come up with a more original name when warner brothers and cbs decided to start the cw but the Clock was ticking. Nobody came up with a name that was able to clear legally. And so finally, everyone said, okay, let's just call it CW for CBS and Warner Brothers. And so everyone was like, okay, that makes sense. And then when we announced it, everyone thought it was the Country Western <laughs> Network. So we had quite a challenge in trying to figure out how we're going to communicate that this is not a Country Western channel, that it's really a channel targeting 18 to 34-year-old women.
1: And it reminds me of the Blues Brothers when they said, well, what kind of music do you like? They said, we like both kinds, <laughs> country and Western.
2: <laughs> That's pretty we much We like it. both media companies, yeah. CBS and Warner Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> So what happened was, you know, we knew we needed to come up with content that would be loud and noisy, that would help us solidify what the network was going to be. Nobody could find the network. Nobody knew what it was. I mean, it was truly a marketing disaster. And Gossip Girl was the first show we developed as our sort of flagship show to help articulate What the network was gonna be and who we were going to target. And then the marketing campaign was sort of as loud and noisy as the actual show. And once we were able to get the right content on the network, everything else fell into place. You know, everyone knew what the network was about. Everybody understood the kind of programming we were gonna do and
1: it played to the demographic perfectly.
2: Perfectly. But it was quite the challenge. Yeah. Then I went to Condi Nast mostly because we saw all of our viewers really starting to migrate over to digital. And at first everyone was illegally streaming our content unless Moonvest said to me, look, you better figure this out because if you can't figure out how to get the viewers in and how to monetize your content, how are we gonna have a network? And so when I was at the CW, we created more or less the blueprint of streaming for long form content. And we built out all of the technology to stream our episodes online. With full commercial loads, we went to the advertisers and to all the agencies and said, here's what we want to do. We want to experiment. We want to see if a viewer will watch a show from beginning to end with all the commercials. And if we can get them to do that, we want to know if you will pay us the same CPM online as you're paying on air. And we wound up getting enough partners to say, yes, let's try it. And it worked. And so initially, this is very early on. I'll never forget, it was 94% of the viewers who started an episode made it all the way through, and 97% made it halfway through. So once we proved out that model, you know, you saw where everything was going to go. Streaming was going to be, in essence, where this entire generation and the generation after them. We're going to really get their content. And so when I was leaving the CW to move to New York with my husband, I knew I wanted to do something in the digital space that was going to explore how this generation was going to watch their content on digital platforms and what that content would look like.
1: This is before everyone understood what we know today, which is it's all going direct. It's all OTT. It's all digital. So this is early on.
2: Everything that I've done was probably a little bit ahead of the curve. And everybody thought in many of these decisions that I made that I was crazy to do so because nobody understood that it was ultimately going to be the future if it worked. And if it didn't work, then I'd go back to what I was doing. But if it did work to be on the forefront of it was really what was always interesting and exciting to me. At Condé Nast Entertainment, it was another example, Total Startup. We were funded by Advance, the parent company of Condé Nast. It was literally me and an assistant. And we said, okay, we've got to build a model, a business model. And ultimately, the video platform part of our business became the real revenue generator. I mean, the film and the TV certainly helped us build the Condé Nast Entertainment brand, help us take our IP and exploit it on other platforms, which made all the sense in the world. But really, the innovation came from the digital video network that we built, where we made 5,000 videos a year. We drove 12 billion views. We had broad distribution across every single platform and made the content differently for every single platform. And that was just at the beginning of when digital video and YouTube was really starting to take off.
1: I want to spend some time on the Condé Nast experience, but I want to pick up on your entrepreneurial spirit and energy and talk about why the transition now to Spotify, because you have been ahead of the curve in your career. And I think it's a lot to do with your three P's philosophy, because it's always getting you to lean forward and to thinking about what's next and having a certain element of restlessness probably about where you've been and where you want to go to. And the world keeps changing also. So tell us about the transition just now to Spotify as the chief content officer. And, and I personally have tremendous respect for what Daniel Eck has built so far at Spotify. I'm obviously a huge streaming service, 200 million monthly users, 83 million paid subscribers. I'm an avid user myself. And I love music, but tell us about the transition and what made you jump.
2: For one thing, I have long admired Daniel from afar, you know, and what he's built. And working with somebody who's such an incredible innovator and truly a great leader, because if you think about all of the challenges that he has had along the way and the way in which he's navigated them, it's been so impressive. The platform itself also was a big attraction for me. I've been a big fan of and a user of, of Spotify. And so, The creative way that they approached bringing music to the consumer and the way in which they built out the platform to really be able to help individualize what you find and how you can really assemble your music choices were always of great interest. And I think the next thing that's going to happen with entertainment across the board is, of course, individualization, you know, being able to curate for yourself, being able to have access to a much wider birth of content across all mediums, and also being able to take a platform that has built such a following already and say, once you've got all of these users there... How many different ways can you become really important to them? And how many different ways can you satisfy different times of their day? So all of those reasons felt very exciting to me and felt like it was going to allow me to be a part of the next wave of whatever this business is going to be.
1: That makes sense from the perspective of we went to the consumer from the platform players, and now we're going to go to the individualized curated services. But for you... Going from a media company to a platform that people think of as a music platform, how was the feedback? People think, what does a chief content officer do at Spotify beyond music? And you're known as a video person by training.
2: But the truth is what I've spent most of my career doing is really making content for audiences, And I think that that is pretty much standard across any kind of content that you're talking about, right? You're targeting audiences. So that's what I've done over and over again. And I've done it with certain audiences at Lifetime and Television or UPN or CW or Condé Nast Entertainment. And again, Spotify gives me another opportunity to target audiences and bring great content to them. Music, audio content. Ultimately we'll be looking at video in some way, but and we have video on the platform already. But even just starting with music and podcasts is really an exciting proposition because they've always put everything out on the platform and given the audience the maximum amount of choices what Nick and his team have done who works for me on all of the playlists is really indicative of what I think we're going to see as the business evolves in many many ways the
1: curation of it all the
2: curation of it and the technology is becoming more and more sophisticated, where it's a combination of, of course, you know, the algorithms, but also it's still the editorial taste that I think is the perfect combination. And then how you roll that out across many different mediums is what's, I think, still open for discovery. That was what was most exciting to me is when Daniel and I spoke about all of this early on he said, you know, we're still in the early innings. This is still like in inning two or in inning three, and we have a long way to go.
1: Because he views it as a platform, not just as a music streaming service.
2: Exactly. It is a platform. Growing the platform and getting the most amount of users to be able to offer the content um choices too, and having you know as many artists and creators on the platform as possible is one of the big mandates. And so it's how do you have the most amount of creators on the platform reaching the most amount of consumers and be able to connect them so that everybody finds ways in which they can f- discover incredible content, music, audio, and ultimately video, and then also how are you able to create a platform for creators? where they're able to reach the consumer in ways they never would have been able to.
1: Do you envision creating a content production vehicle or unit within Spotify like you did at Condé Nast Entertainment Group, where you fostered this new next generation production studio, so to speak, within the platform?
2: Well, we already have that and we make content, video content, for some of our biggest verticals like Rap Caviar and Viva Latina and Hot Country. And so the video that our teams make already speak to those verticals and those brands. And we've seen those brands continue to grow and gain traction with even more and more fans that both listen to the music and then watch the videos. And I think you'll see more of that. And then in addition to that, we also know that Our team also makes a lot of podcasts.
1: Kindred Cast is actually, our podcast is on the Spotify service. So we're grateful to Courtney, who I'm sure works for you and works with you now and and yourself and Daniel for hosting us.
2: Right. Well, I'm sure it does very well for us. (laughs) You know, and we make original podcasts. Like we did a big podcast and, you know, this is Courtney's team with Amy Schumer which, you know, not only did well for the platform, and it's also been, you know, more broadly distributed, but it also really helped us put a f- flag in the sand and saying that we're making original content. And this is a Spotify podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it allows us to explore different verticals, comedy, entertainment, news and information, culture.
1: So you will produce original content and also invest in both in content. Yeah, as well.
2: we do multiple things. We have obviously big library of content that already exists in podcasts. We make original content that is Spotify produced or produced with other partners, but it's content we actually make. And then we have other types of content where we have exclusive deals for licensing.
1: Yeah. And I know that as part of your role, you are responsible for all the content partnerships, Yes. That Spotify has. And you mentioned Rap Caviar, which I think is a partnership with Live Nation in some ways and very successful so far and could obviously grow from here. I mean, are there any uh, dream partnerships that you think about? And I know it's early days that you could create with Spotify.
2: It's early days. I think that. We are going to obviously continue to explore Viva Latina and Hot Country and assuming that those work, you know, we'll start to figure other verticals that really work for our audience and then start to, again, branch out on all the different business opportunities that we can from those core verticals. The live business is so interesting because experiential has become such a big keyword in the business community. You know, it's where everybody who's a millennial or Gen Zer really wants to spend their money. They want to have experiences. And so how we're able to shape and form that in an organic way, which I think the Rap Caviar Live Nation partnership is very much indicative of what we can do ultimately.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think you have had some unique experiences knowing how to connect brands with audiences. And I think Part of the hallmark of the Conde Nast platform was that you took the brands that they had in place, which are obviously very rich brands and well-known brands, and created some great content around them and obviously created an audience digitally around them. How do you think of artists as brands now within the Spotify context? And what could you do with a brand like Kanye West or Ariana Grande? And not just in the audio sense, but in the video sense.
2: Well, I think, obviously, the great thing about where we are today is that there is a direct connection between artists and their fans, right? And Spotify plays a big role in that. We're the home of super fans for so many of these artists. And I think that the ways in which they're going to connect with one another is something that we're going to really look at and explore but ultimately, we don't want to necessarily be responsible for anybody else's brand because they do such a great job themselves. What we really want to do is be able to form a connection between. The artist and their user. And then, if the content that we either make with them or they make is distributed on the platform, making sure that we're able to get the content to their fans in a simple way and making content for any of these artists would probably be very much in line with what they already have as their brand proposition. So, I don't know if we'll reinvent that, but I do think we'll create brands on the platform, because you could look at Rap Caviar or Viva Latina as a brand in and of itself, I think some of the podcasts that we're going to create will be brands of themselves. You know, we do something called Spotify Singles, which is artists covering other artists' songs. And that's something that just recently hit a billion listens and on our platform. And so it really is a very popular sort of series that we have, but we can work on turning that into a brand. You know, So there are ways that you can take what's already on the platform and just repackage it and then figure out ways to kind of grow what's already there. And yeah, so I think this is
1: important because I remember saying a long time ago and they've made a lot of improvements since then when you go to YouTube, you could sort of back in the old days be in the jungle, like you had great content, but how to navigate that and how to find it and how to create some umbrella categories around it was difficult. And now obviously they've made massive improvements to that. And it's very user friendly. But Spotify's the same thing. There's such great content on Spotify. How do you create what we grew up with as sort of like the programming guide? Right. You know, and, and what are we going to call these different programs and different categories? And we're not going to necessarily have just news and sports and business, but you can have these great names that stand for something That brings it all together for people.
2: Exactly. And I think it's so important to have sort of umbrella brand names for things, for people to be able to have context around the content. And then in success, you know that you can derive other revenue streams or other businesses that still are totally organic to what the core of that brand is. But how do you start to expand it both in terms of content for the user, and then, of course, in terms of business, how much you can reach them.
1: How do you monetize it as well? Mm-hmm. I like the individual curation concept that we can follow our own playlist, we can follow our own uh, artists, we can follow our own video curation that you're going to help foster. But the more individualized the experience becomes, is it possible that the more fragmented it also becomes and harder to monetize? Because obviously we grew up in a world of advertising-based media where the bigger the audience, the better the monetization. And now you have large users of the platform, but each one is going to be following a very individualized piece of content.
2: So I have several answers for that. First, I'll take you back to the days of cable when there were only five networks or four networks and everyone said, like, what are we going to do with all these channels? Like, are you ever going to have people who are just going to watch something that's just about music or watch something that's just about comedy or watch something that's just for kids? You know, nobody could imagine that the world could be more fragmented and more singularly focused on certain verticals, right? But we know that that works. And so then you look at the digital space and you're taking it a step further where everything is getting a little bit more fragmented and a little more specific in who you're speaking to. Then couple that with the technology that allows the marketers, the advertising brands, to really focus on who exactly they want to reach. And in the digital space, it is the biggest plus. You know, you can reach exactly who you are looking for. Somebody who is getting married has already got their wedding gown, they're starting to look for all the different houseware and furniture that they're going to either register for, or go shopping for, And you can know everything about that person. So being able to target people by knowing specifically where they are in their life or what their tastes are, what the music is that they listen to is a big plus. And so I think you are definitely going to see more and more fragmentation. But I think it's going to be an advantage for both the advertisers, if it's an ad platform, and certainly for the consumer. Because think about it you know, as a consumer, you're more interested in seeing ads that are going to be really something that you can relate to or that you're looking for as opposed to, and that's what we have anyway on digital. You know, you get the ads that, you know, they know you're interested in because you'll click on it or you're you're searching for something. The more
1: targeted it is, the better the CPMs effectively.
2: And it's better for the audience also. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a better chance of really engaging the user if it's targeting them for something that they're really in the market for. With content and being able to fragment content, it's also a huge advantage. Understanding your audience and knowing what they're looking for is a critical component and a huge advantage on working on a platform and being able to really understand who your users are. And not using a Spotify example yet, but I can tell you that from Condi Nast, we produced a lot of shows for Netflix. And, you know, we've learned that there are certain verticals and certain audiences that they're trying to reach. And it's so helpful to the creative community because you know who they're trying to target. And it's really helpful to them because they're going to be able to serve an audience that's looking for something. And then the audience has great delight when they see content that speaks specifically to them and what they're looking for. So we did a show called Fastest Cars, which targeted an audience that was really interested. They were car enthusiasts. And it was one of their top shows for five or six weeks. And who knew? But think about the satisfaction of the consumer, the efficiency for Netflix that they produce something like that, and you know the success for Condé Nast that they found a show that has a long life and probably many years of production to come and can be rolled out globally.
1: Yeah, no, I know that they're sorry to see you go, but also happy for you. So a couple more questions. Like you said, it's early days for you at Spotify, and there are plenty of potential partners out there or artists or collaborators are going to want to work with you and they're listening to this and they're saying, this is great. I can't wait to meet Dawn. I can't wait to talk to her about the business. So many ideas. What are you looking for? What should they know about you? What should they know about what your goals are in a nutshell? How should they approach you in terms of what's your prioritization?
2: Well, first of all, the great thing about coming into Spotify is it's already such a huge success. And the team that's in place has done an incredible job working with the music industry, the artists, the labels, the managers. Courtney's team has done a great job working with a lot of talent. This is
1: Courtney Holt. Yes,
2: Courtney Holt, who does podcasts and video for the platform. And so he does a great job because he has not only brought a library of podcasts onto the platform and making original podcasts and video we are already in constant conversation with the community i imagine our strategy will start to iterate as you would for any business that is this young but really you know if you asked me day six right only for you (laughs) rea i mean i had to get special permission to be able to come and talk about anything spotify yet since i don't know very much Um, we appreciate it But I do think that we're going to fine tune what's already there and then hopefully evolve the strategy and grow the strategy in significant ways that will be exciting to the community. Working with artists who have something to say across the board in music and audio and video is really what we hope to do. And content that stands out, Gossip Girl is such a great example and it's ironic that I used it, but really a show, a concept, a podcast that really does help people understand what you're trying to do and get people talking is what is always the easiest way to start to really put together a roadmap of where you want to get to. And it always takes like those first few shows or first few examples for and Nast, you know, we did um, 73 Questions, which now has done hundreds and hundreds of millions of views. But what well, we did uh, 2 chains, Most Expensivest, which ultimately was turned into a TV show, but it did like 300 million views when we were making a video series and everybody started talking about it. So... That's what we want to do. You know, We want to make content and we want to be able to present content in a way that's going to be very noisy, that's going to really resonate with the user and do things that are very innovative, which is very much in line with what Daniel and the team at Spotify have done all along, is innovate.
1: Yeah. So two more questions. One about the media industry overall, and then one about women in the media industry. The media industry is going through just tremendous change, transition, disruption. You've been on the crest of the wave of it at every turn in your career, and you continue to be with this new role now at Spotify. How excited are you for this change or this moment, or is it just really unnerving? I mean, do you wake up every day with butterflies and say, how do we get a handle on this? It's moving too fast, or one day is not like the other. There's no template for this. Are you just really enthusiastic about where it's going? And and what's your advice for other media peers and executives out there? Because I think everyone's trying to figure out what the 2.0 models look like.
2: First of all, I think it's a great question. I woke up with butterflies in my stomach and utterly nervous when I was at the CW. That's the truth. And that's going back. I mean, I was at Condé Nast for like six and a half years. So it was probably a few years before I left the CW, I saw the migration because we programmed to young people. We used to say, as a joke, we are the canaries in the coal mine. But it really was the truth. We were. And that's when I truly had the butterflies in my stomach and had that, oh, no moment. Like, where is this all going to go? Working. And what year was that? That was in, I'd say it's probably 2009, 2010. And the reality is I went to Condé Nast not just to exploit their incredible library, because that was exciting. We've produced some big movies. We have a big movie coming out, by the way, September 28th, which is Robert Redford's last movie. I'll do a little plug, yeah. called Old Man and the Gun. And it starts Robert Redford and Casey Affleck and Sissy Spacek. And it's a great cast based on a New Yorker article written by David Grant and directed by David Lowry. That all was great and exciting. But being able... To figure out what this digital business was going to be, how you were going to reach people on all of these disparate platforms, how you were going to reinvent formats and reinvent the relationship between the content and the user was really what was gnawing at me. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know how it was going to evolve and what the answers were going to be. And so the experience that I had in growing the business for Condé Nast, which ultimately will be a significant portion of the revenues for the company, because it really is such a big part of their future, was what I knew I had to figure out for myself. The reality is that I have said this for a while, and it's not a very popular saying, but we saw what happened with social media. And I don't think what's happening now in entertainment is an evolution. It's really a revolution. You know, you have the millennials who started it, but now it's really the Gen Zers who are going to just carry it all away. And if you have kids, you see where this is going because you watch their habits, right? And so it's pretty clear that they watch content in a very different way. It's about how much time do they have and what kind of content are they looking for at any given moment. They don't look at the quality of the content, in my opinion. It's about how entertaining it is they really are of the mind that it's an hour or longer is when they have like real time to binge and anything else is like, they just do it throughout their day. It's just snackable and just entertain me for now. And it's an insatiable appetite for video. It's just not going to go away.
1: Do all four of your kids use Spotify?
2: All four of my kids use Spotify. I have to say, I am probably the coolest mom right now. There's just (laughs) no doubt about it. I've never had kids like me so much before and they're all sort of, you know... In awe and jealous, you know, And they're all very musical, right? They're all musical. And all of their friends are like, How did you do that? Like, how can I get a job there? And by the way, you asked me like what the response is when I came to Spotify. And I received so many emails and texts and you know from across the industries and the word that so many people used, it's gonna be a bit of a surprise, is really wow. That was the word that every single email had in one way, shape, or form. Wow.
1: Because they were surprised. Everyone
2: was surprised. They were either surprised that I went to Spotify as a music platform, they were surprised that Spotify would have somebody who has my experience go onto the platform. They were surprised that, that this is where the industry is really going. I think there was just, you know, surprise on every side of the equation. I understand the fear and the nervousness of what's happening in the industry across the board because it's the unknown and always the unknown is scary, especially in the entertainment community. We really are so insular in so many ways and we spend, you know, not only our days working with each other, we socialize together, you know, we're very sheltered from a lot of what else is going on. Because of what's recently happened and the consumer has spoken, and they're the ones who are basically dictating where all this is going, it's a very out-of-control feeling for the right reasons. But if you look at it from the other side of the desk, which is it's exciting, it's a new way for us to all iterate, grow, and migrate with them then you can look at it like it's the next adventure, the next chapter for what we've all been doing.
1: Well, plus there's a certain inevitability to it, right? We're now through to the other side of, we see where the business is supposed to be going. And so once that's embraced by all the executives, like it is by the consumers, then the business models are just getting magnetized or pulled in that direction. And there's no choice but to be innovating alongside of it.
2: Yeah, there's no choice. Also, part of what is happening is that the musical chairs hasn't landed yet, right? There's so much that's disrupted right now within the entertainment business with Disney and Fox and sort of some of the other things that are happening that everybody's waiting for the music to stop and let everything settle. And then then how do you build the business from there, which I think is going to be a big component to everybody feeling more settled and clearer about the direction.
1: Talking about being insulated, I want to talk about the general topic of women in media. Because just from a top-down perspective, there are companies in the S&P 500 that are represented at the very top levels by very diverse interests. In fact, almost 50% of the S&P 500 CEOs are immigrants, which is great. And I think the market has embraced that and obviously worked itself out for the benefits of having Different perspectives and different backgrounds excel at the top levels, but that same statistic for women is less than five percent of being public company CEOs, and as far as I know, virtually none in U.S. media companies. There are a few. I think
2: I pointed that out to you. I think Mar- I'm sure you did. Mary Burner is the only one who's the CEO of Cumulus.
1: Correct. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Remember,
2: we had that conversation. I do, I do yes. remember.
1: I was wearing my rose-colored glasses. That's right. (laughs) Different story. (laughs) That's right. All together. But I do think that's an issue for the media industry to tackle head on because there's obviously a lot of conversations going on within media about being progressive and being more equal and having, you know, women empowered. And you have had a great career that obviously, in your own words, has I'd love to hear how you've kind of managed to get to the top of your game in this environment. But you have other peers out there that we have friends in the business that are doing very well as well. But yet, we're not anywhere near where we should be as a U.S. marketplace with public company CEOs. And the media industry is behind. That's right. Not a leading indicator. As much as we like to talk about those things in media, there's not much to be proud of there when you look at the big picture.
2: And you know it's not just CEOs of public companies. It's also directors and it's also writers. And, you know, we can go on and on. It's across all of the entertainment business, which is really shocking when you look at the statistics. But let's stick to business for a minute. And I'll tell you just a few anecdotes. One thing that happened a few months ago, which really was so disturbing to me, I was at a dinner that the women from the skim threw. And they had women from all different sectors, they had a very wide age range, but many of the people there were from the entertainment business or media business in some way. And everyone had to go around the table, talk a little bit about what they do, you know, and it was very interesting hearing, you know, everyone's, and one of the young women sort of, it was her turn and she said, you know, it's amazing that I'm here with all of these women who have accomplished so much. And it really threw me back to like, where 20 years ago, a woman would have said that. And we were still in that same place where it was just sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed that you're. There. And I said to her, you know, it's so disheartening because it's not okay that, you know, you just have a seat at the table anymore. You need to demand that you are at the head of the table. Just being at the table is not acceptable anymore. And the fact that we're still just sitting at the table, that we are not at the head of the table, that we have this next generation of Gen Z and millennials who are coming up and are basically picking up where the generations before them left off is really not okay. So we have to figure out how to move that needle and move it in the right way. So that's number one.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the business models in media for all of its difficulties and challenges are progressing faster That's right. than this issue of that's right. women getting to the top of the line and the top of the table and the front of the table in media.
2: And, you know, when you think about it, there are so many other businesses where women have accomplished that. You look at Detroit, you look at food and beverage, you can look at so many other sectors, and you can see that women really are running these companies and have been given the opportunity. And yet, in the media business, we're very far behind. That's one story. And the other thing that I think is really important is that. When I became the president of UPN, it was at a time where there were very, very few women who were running networks or studios. By the time I was already at the CW, at one point there was a woman running almost every single broadcast network and almost every single movie studio had a woman who was the head of production. So it was really a moment in time because, you know, you had all of these women running the movie studios making decisions about movies that were getting made or were at least in a critical position to help movies get made and you had women at the networks you know Nancy Tellum at the time was running uh, CBS and Susan Lyon was actually at ABC at the time and Gail Berman was at Fox and I was at UPN and you know we would sit up on these panels and we would see all these women it was such an exciting moment because when we were coming up in the business there had never really even been a woman who was president of any of these networks or run any of the studios other than maybe Sherry Lansing, who still remains an idol to many of us. But even that has taken steps back, you know. So we really aren't where we even were, and we're not anywhere close to where we should be. I do think that there has to be some kind of game plan to really start to move women into the positions that we deserve to be in. We've worked in this industry for as long as many of our male counterparts. We've been able to accomplish as much, sometimes more, And for some reason, there just really is a glass ceiling that needs to be broken through. And I've never been really an advocate and very outspoken about it, but it's been so apparent lately that it warrants being spoken about.
1: Yeah, I think in this case, we're talking about persistence and passion, but in this case, impatience, it's time to do it right now.
2: Right. But we've been patient for many, many years. We really have been patient.
1: So let's do it. I know we have a lot of friends that are peers of yours as well that are ascending in their careers that are very capable, exceptional women, executives in media. Let's all make a point of uh, getting together and making it happen.
2: I hope so. And you're right. There's so many talented women and you know they've accomplished so much and it really is time to start to look at us and, and them and say, you know, how can we really move the needle and start to look at women in a different
1: light? Yeah, I agree. I look at your career and I say, you're really kind of drawing a thread between where things were, and where things are going, and whether it's going from, obviously, a traditional network to building a new studio and uh, entertainment platform, we to, to now really looking at curation and individualized content and how you tackle that in a technology platform, that obviously is becoming a media platform. You know, You're really kind of doing what you say you're going to do and acting, not just talking about it and not just philosophizing about, well, I wish I could take another career move here. What do you think? You're taking the steps. You're taking the leaps. So, you know, kudos to you.
2: Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's so apparent because I think when you look at the way the users, the consumers spend their days, you know, they're less and less patient about what they want to watch or listen to or even read for that matter. And curation is one of the biggest innovations that we have in the industry. And the idea that you have to spend any time that's wasted with content you're not interested in is really what drives at least my thought in what the future is going to be. And a platform like Spotify that has the ability to curate and the ability to really help individualize the content that you're spending your time with is what I think the users love most about the platform, but it's also, I think, the future for where we'll all be. That's what our expectations will all be at some point.
1: But don't waste any time is a comment you're making about the users, but it's also a comment for people in the media industry for their careers right now. Don't waste time doing things that you don't want to be doing. And I think the same goes for finance, right? This is a time of incredible change and movement and being in motion. You have to be passionate about what you're doing.
2: Have to be passionate about what you're doing and think about your own self. You know, you want to spend your time doing what you love. You want to be able to do things as efficiently as possible and make every moment feel as satisfying as possible. You want to spend time with people you enjoy. Family's more and more important, and friends. Experiences are so important to people right now. Getting the content that they really care about and engage them and they want to spend time watching, using, listening to, reading. And then being able to even get messaging from advertisers that are really specific and really going to help your life, make your life simpler, better, easier.
1: Exactly. Don. I really appreciate your coming. And I'm so excited for you personally as your friend. I'm so excited for you with admiration for your next step in your career. I'm excited for Daniel and the Spotify team to have you and obviously excited to see what you're going to create and produce. And I really appreciate you coming on to Kindercast with us.
2: Well, thanks for having me, R.E.A. And thanks for being so patient with me, not having sort of had enough, even like a month under my belt yet. But I did want to come on and speak to you. And thanks for always being so supportive.
1: Of course, always. Okay. Thanks, Don.
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.